Hi folks, a shout out this week to Sharon Pask, who did a review of the Take On Board podcast. Thanks, Sharon. She says, gender pay gap episode, very informative session with Emma Ray. Thank you. Well, thank you, Sharon, for taking the time to do a review. We love to get reviews here. And thanks to Emma for doing that episode. Second announcement for this week. This week we're hearing from Kari Hatch. And listen right through to the end of the episode where she shares resources because not only does she share some resources in the episode itself, but sent me a voice memo afterwards with some additional ones. So there's some gold in there. Radio on with the show. Hi, folks. It's Helia. Three very quick things before we get into the show. Firstly, a huge thank you to those of you that joined me for the first ever Take On Board Meetup via Zoom. We had women come from the central coast of New South Wales, from regional Victoria, from Brisbane, from Toronto in Canada. We networked, we shared and we learned. If you want to be at the next one, make sure you join the Take On Board Facebook group. Just search Take On Board in Facebook to find us there. Secondly, if you want to join a board and you're not sure where to start, the Board Kickstarter program is coming up in June and this is your last chance at early bird prices because they close on Sunday the 31st of May. There's a fabulous group of women coming together to learn all the tips and tricks Check out the link in the show notes or email or message me for more information. Last but not least, if you're already on a board, I'm taking expressions of interest for a new board accelerator group which will start in late July. Again, link in the show notes or message me for more information. Now, on with the show. Hello and welcome to the Take On Board podcast, where we talk all things boards and governance. I'm your host, Halia Svensson. Being on a board can be interesting, valuable and exciting, yet it can also be really lonely, challenging and hard. So here at Take On Board, we'll bring you weekly tips, tricks and advice to help you build your governance wisdom. We'll shine a light on how to navigate your way onto your first board or to build your board portfolio. We'll also help you to work through those challenges that keep you awake at night. Each week, I'll talk to women who have been there, done that, and together we'll discover what we need to take on board to be your best in the boardroom. Today on the Take On Board podcast, I'm speaking with Dr. Melinda Muth about how effective relationships are built on effective conversations and how effective conversations are built on positive language. First, let me tell you about Melinda. So Melinda is on the boards of Harvard Club Australia Philanthropy and Curious Works. And she's previously been on the boards of Indigenous Community Volunteers, Heart Kids New South Wales, Union University and Schools Club and Quest for Life Foundation. Melinda is an educator and consultant who specialises in decision-making and group effectiveness, principally with senior executives and leadership teams. Welcome to the Take On Board podcast, Melinda. Thanks, Helia. So it is great to have you on the podcast today, Melinda. We'd love to learn a little bit more about you. Can you tell me what led you to be coming and living here in Australia? Yes, you can tell that uh, I'm not a native. (laughs) Whenever a person opens their mouth and has an accent, people start to wonder, where are they from? Because I know they're not from here. 
So I like to tell people that, yes, I have been in Australia for 35 years. And I basically, I got here on a potato chip. My then husband was uh, working for PepsiCo Foods International, which runs the Frito-Lay division internationally. So they had a joint venture with Arnott's to market crisps, otherwise known as potato chips here in uh, Australia. It was (laughs) pre-Doritos. And so that's how I got here. You know, Uh, he had the big job and he said, do you want to go to Australia? And I thought living in another country, great, you know, uh, as long as I can work. And uh, that was a problem that Mm -hmm. had to be resolved. And uh, here I am. Uh, There's been a long story since then. Fantastic. Well, we are very happy to have you here because it means we get to share in your wisdom and, and just your zest for these things. I, I, I should say I met Melinda when she facilitated a, I think it was Board Effectiveness for Women workshop at the Institute of Company Directors yes. last year. And I was so impressed with your, yeah, just your zest in your life. You've got such a beautiful kind of energy. So I sidled on up to Melinda, Melinda afterwards and said, I've got this podcast, which back then was only about three months old and said, I would love to have you on the pod. Melinda, you've written the book about this, but where should we begin on what boards need to do to set that tone from the top in culture in their organisations? Well, I think it's all about behaviour. And if I back up a little bit, my journey here in Australia, I ended up doing a PhD at the Australian Graduate School of Management on the impact of boards on a company performance. And a lot of that research was what I call the standard approach. There's economic models, legal models. I actually wanted to look at the behavioral dynamics of boards and how that impacts decision-making and thus performance. Because I still say it's a group of people around a table applying their judgment to a situation. And the presence of knowledge doesn't necessarily indicate the usage of it. Mm. You can know all the rules And you can know the structure and the legalities. However, it's people's behavior around the table. And when I say behavior, it's how we converse with one another in an effective manner so that we can access the knowledge that all the directors have in order to utilize that knowledge. If the relationships and the conversation around the table are not positive, then the behavior isn't positive. Mm. And there's so many things that suffer because of it. And in the years that I've been teaching on the company director course, if I could think of one question that people ask me most often, it's how do I deal with a difficult director? (laughs) Oh, yeah. And when I, I say, well, what is the difficulty about? Could you elaborate? It will always be something about convincing somebody of a point of view or someone having a dominating point of view. And when you think about that, it's behavior. And I think that we underplay the importance of behavior in board work. Although at the moment now, after the Royal Commission and the constant mention of culture, maybe that has all changed. However, I'm not really sure that people understand what culture means in actual practice. And for me, it's about behavior. Mm. 
You know, what culture means, I think, again, is something boards really struggle with. I think after the Financial Services Royal Commission, boards know that they need to focus on culture, but they're not quite sure what that means. And, exactly. and not sure what it means for them in the boardroom and not sure what that means for them in what they should even be looking at. What does it mean to you? What's your advice to boards in thinking about that? It's funny. I've been making a joke in class recently. Everyone understands the financial impact of decisions, but they seem to have this other bucket for everything that's bothering them, and it's called culture. Mm. <laughs> so it means something different to each person. And for me, that is about how we do things around here and the mindsets that we bring to our thinking, our conversation, our context, all the invisible things that impact our thinking and thus our responses to each other. Yeah. And when I hear people say that boards are going to set that, I think, wow, that's a big ask. Think about a bank with 50,000 people and the 10 or 12 people around the board table are somehow gonna set what those people think and how they use that thinking to respond to each other in so many different facets of the work a bank does. That 10 or 12 people are going to be around for a series of meetings or committee meetings. They don't work full time. They don't necessarily even interface with the people that they're supposed to be setting culture for. And I think, hmm, you know, we might like that, but can we really do it? You know, there's a lots of things that we aspire to and want to have happen. And whether it's really realistic, I think we need to ask ourselves some serious questions about that. Because for me, culture is the interaction that people have with each other. I mean, we have a culture, I suppose, in our podcast here today about you know the dynamic between you and I and how we're speaking to each other that tone is the thing that allows people to express views to examine issues to disagree constructively all those things that lead to good decisions or requirements for the further information all the things that you hear boards talk about it really it really comes from that conversation that tone. Those are abstract concepts. And so if you really boil them down to what is it, it's how we talk to each other. Really, isn't that, I think that's the, the main tool directors have to do their job, their conversation with each other, uh, with committee members, with the CEO and the other executives. What else is there really? Yeah. Mm -hmm. I could not agree more that that incredibly constructive environment in the boardroom where you can explore ideas and be critical without dismissive of an idea. It's like critical in the true sense of the word, where you really mm -hmm. explore an idea and where mm -hmm. you can disagree constructively and all of those things. How mm -hmm. do boards do that? Because many of them don't. What's the magic that they can do to create an environment like that in the boardroom that is constructive? One of the things is the environment has to be psychologically safe. That's Amy Edmondson's term. Uh, I think her book is called The Fearless Organization. And I, I believe she coined that term uh, in her research. And psychological safety is not, do I trust you? It's whether I trust the entire group to keep me safe when I disagree, when I make a mistake, when I'm allowed to be intrusive, I'm not worried about stating my view because I know the group will accept that. And so we all have a responsibility 
I think the chair has the major responsibility. Mm -hmm. So a board has to have a chair who is going to work on building the psychological safety, yet everybody has to participate. You know, to put it all on the chair is an issue. I see some groups do that. It's all up to the leader and it's not working and it's their fault. I mean, that's probably a societal issue. Yes. <laughs> it's not about us. It's all about the leader. You know, we all have to do our part because to create psychological safety, we all have to be accepting of each other. And we're all different and we have different styles and different things appeal to us and different things irritate us. Mm. And you have to be in a position to allow a person to be irritating and say, that's okay, because that's just how they are. And it's quite fine. And let's hear what they've got to say. Mm. And if you're not adopting that attitude, then there's not psychological safety around the table. Mm. And if you think about the environment that boards operate in, wow, now that's difficult to create psychological safety because you're walking into the room. You've got all this liability and some people, you know, feel the weight of that differently. Mm -hmm. And you have to think about your status in front of your peers. I mean, there's a, there's a status to being a director. Yes. And what are they going to think of me? There's a whole host of things that people walk into a room with and they mitigate against psychological safety. Mm. And I don't think that groups spend any time working on the process of how we will work together so that that safety can be created. Instead, we go straight to the agenda, to the meeting. Let's get on the action items. Let's discuss the content because we don't really value the process. The analogy I always make is it's like air. Can you see air? If you don't have air, it's all a moot point because we're not breathing. You won't even have a conversation about any content. And psychological safety is like air quality. Mm. And how much time do we spend on creating air quality? So an example would be on one of the boards that I, I've worked on when I took over as chair, I set up a meeting just about all of us and the charter and how do we want to work together. Now, it took me about six weeks to get everybody around the table, and I had to do a lot of groundwork prior to give people something to discuss, because you don't just launch into that. And that was a really wide-ranging conversation about how people saw things. You know, I asked them what they wanted from me as a chair. Did I have their permission to, you know, stop them in the middle of a conversation if it was derailing? All those kinds of things. And if you don't have that conversation, then when it's you're in the heat of the moment and it's not working, it's not safe for you to intervene. I hope this is making sense. Yeah. So, so effectively, it's like setting the ground rules for that board. You and I both do work as facilitators, and I know I would never run a workshop without even having a very brief conversation at the start of that around what are our ground rules? What do we need to do? How do we need to be to make sure this conversation today is a success? Mm -hmm. And I think that's what I'm hearing for the yeah. boardroom as well. I mean, that is the, the bread and butter of a board is to have successful conversations. That's I mean, it's an ASX good. guideline that you're supposed to have a board charter. Mm. And I think most people think that's just some kind of box ticking exercise. I can remember I was doing some work for a big defense contractor and they had this quarter where all the numbers tanked. And so they were looking at every project that was tanking and trying to figure out why, where did it derail? 
and they couldn't find anything that was really conclusive. So I said to them, well, not every team is failing, correct? They said, correct. I said, well, let's flip it on its head. Let's look at the ones that are working well. Let's study those and see what you can find. Well, lo and behold, what did they find? One of the things was that each of those teams had sat down at the beginning and said, you know, how are we going to work together? What happens if somebody gets sick? What if somebody's late? What if somebody gets pulled off this team for enough? They had actually done all that and written it down. It wasn't a box ticking exercise. They actually had the conversation. Mm -hmm. And it mattered for those teams because when they got into strife and there was stress, they had already agreed how to solve it. People had permission. They had safety. Mm. And that was the thing that stood out in the high performing teams versus the low performing. So I'm talking about teams now, but I think you could say that that applies in the same way to boards. And we do indeed have this guideline about board charters. And I think a lot of people look at that and go, ah, you know, I've joined the board. They've got a charter. I've read it. Let's get going. You know, And, it, and it's seen as this formal kind of, you know, the board charter, what's our purpose? What are we here to do? All yes. of those sorts of things. When in fact, it could just also just inverted commas, also incorporate, you know, how we work together. What are our expectations of each other? Which, which means, I think that that needs regular review because as the board changes, so might the ground rules and the way they yes. work. Yes. Every time the membership of a board changes, I think you have to look at it again because you've brought new people into the group. and we have this issue as humans. Once we know something, we make assumptions about what other people know because it's so clear to us. Yes. And then it's actually not clear because the other pe person doesn't share those assumptions. They don't share the same frame. Yes. And then you get a collision in the conversation. And then once people have an argument that leaves them with a bit of a not so comfortable feeling, it bleeds onto the next conversation. Yes. When there's an argument at the table and it seems to have a personal element, mm. that changes the tone yeah. and it changes the ongoing contribution of the parties who had the altercation, if I can use yes. that word. Maybe that's Absolutely. not the best word. And you know, I have a thing about words. <laughs> yeah, I think that's the thing that people are always asking me about when they say, oh, that difficult director, that difficult person. And that tension sometimes, I mean, my view is tension in the boardroom is a is a great thing. It's healthy. Yes. It's good. It's actually about the testing of new ideas and in and a boardroom that doesn't have that tension and even sometimes frustration, perhaps isn't testing out things as well as they could or should be. So learning how to deal with that tension and that frustration is constructively yes. is key. Yes. Because psychological safety doesn't mean that we're having a big tree hug and everybody's happy all the time. Yes. Because if, if you've got that, then you have some a different kind of an issue. Because you have to have the tension. It has to be okay to be in the tension and deal with that and say your point of view and know that somebody else doesn't agree and you learn something from seeing their point of view. It's very hard to do. And there's so many big issues at the board table. There'll be a full agenda. And if people haven't chunked down an issue into the bite-sized piece that could be handled in that agenda, and then other things come in and everyone starts talking all at once, oh. Yeah, exactly. You so, know, and I think I, I, you know, I've spent a long time studying these things and I think, oh, I, I understand something about it. 
And it's easier to talk about it than actually do it because sometimes I chair a meeting and I go, wow, that went really well. You know, and I ask the people at the end, how did it go? And everyone's saying that went really well. And then, you know, two meetings later, you chair it and it's a debacle. <laughs> That's right. And then you say to everybody, how do we go? And they're going, oh. <laughs> it's the challenge about human relationships, aren't they? That they don't yeah. just, don't neatly just stay the same. People don't agree about much, don't you think? I mean, when I look at the news, I go, wow, it's probably a miracle we do as well as we do. True. So I know you were involved in a process, I guess, where you solved a bit of a stalemate. So it was in a member organisation and there was a property decision to be made. Can you tell us about that that example and, and what you learned from that? Yeah, I like to use that example because that was a big group, you know, because group size also matters. Groups around board tables are usually larger than is is the effective number for Mm. good decision making. This was a large group. I think we were, I want to say 11 or 12. And it was an organization that had a long, long history. And there was history attached to the location. Mm. This is an example of culture in terms of the mindset that people have when they are at a location. Mm. That location was like a sacred site. I hope I'm not offending anyone who's indigenous. We can learn a lot from indigenous culture, you know, and sacred sites have meaning for people and the things that happen there have meaning and, and people carry a lot of meanings in their head. So here we are at the board table talking about potentially leaving that site. Mm. And the emotion associated with that, and it was a member organization, and members were being were asking to come to board meetings to make their case. And I haven't seen grown men cry very often. Mm. And members came to the board meeting to say what they felt about that situation, and tears rolling down their faces. Mm. And I thought, wow. And so this discussion went on and on and on, because how do you deal with that? I mean, people aren't, you you can't ask people to give away their emotions or their feelings. They are what they are. And we had to do something because the financial pressure to do so was also jeopardizing the organization. So I thought the chair was brilliant coming up with this process Mm. suggestion. And it was that, we had to have a separate meeting about this issue. It was on every agenda item. It wasn't moving forward. It was like 18 months of a stalemate and the financial position, really, it needed to be addressed. So he divided us randomly into two groups. So he just went around the table and went one, two, one, two, one, two. Mm-hmm. Your team one, your team two. So there's the first thing that was really interesting because he didn't say, all the people who are for the move, you go on that team. And all the people against, you go on that team. Mm-hmm. He didn't do that. That is a really important thing mm-hmm. to take out of this description, I hope, for the people who are listening to it. It was random. Mm-hmm. I didn't even get on the side that I wanted to be on. Mm-hmm. So that was the first thing. Oh, now I'm on the side that I'm not happy about. And my assignment, here's the assignment. Team one, you have to go out and find everything you can, every piece of information, every evidence, every view, every opinion, that making this move is a good thing. Mm -hmm. And team two, 
you have to go out and find every piece of information, every evidence, every view that says it's a bad thing. I'm trying to do emphasis here, good, bad. I mean, it was for against. Yes. And then we will convene a meeting and we'll go through this. So, you know, it's kind of a devil's advocate process. Mm -hmm. First, how were the groups assigned at random? Mm -hmm. So we've got two teams and there are people on the teams that have to go out and find a thing that they don't want to see. Yeah. Now that messes with your neurons. Yes. Because you don't want to see it, but that's your assignment to go and find it. And it's not just you by yourself. You're in a group and you've all got to do it, you know, and you're not want to let your the group down and you're on this board. So you go and you do this. Then when the situation is convened for discussion, one side put up their views and the other side was not allowed to intervene. Mm -hmm. So you didn't have the, it's this and somebody going, yes, but, and knocking it over. One whole case went up. The only thing the other side was, was allowed to do, uh, and this was adjudicated by the chair, was to ask clarifying questions so they understood what the point was. Mm -hmm. And the chair was good at that. That's a bit of a skill. Okay, so that whole side goes up, and then clever chair says to the side, the other side, who hadn't been speaking, did they miss anything? Mm -hmm. Is there anything else you could see? And then we did the reverse. And can you see how the dynamic of that? So you've got a group made up of people who've now, you know, researched this thing, whether they wanted to or not. They haven't been interrupted. They've been able to make their case. And then the other side who's in opposition is co-opted into thinking, did they miss anything? Fantastic. And then you do the reverse. Mm. So now you've totally educated the group. It's divided into two, but it's not polarized anymore. Yes. And every view, every piece of evidence, there's, you know, nobody can say yes, but we didn't think about this. Mm. I think if we hadn't done that, we never would have gotten a decision. That decision went well. It stood the organization. I'm not on that board anymore, but it stood that organization good stead. It's worked well. What a fantastic example and process indeed. And what a fabulous chair to be able to recognise that and mm -hmm. set in place that process. It's a beautiful mm -hmm. example of setting the tone from the top and a great way for people to, to use that process in their own, inverted commas, intractable problems. So can you see the air quality that he created in the oh, room? Amazing. It was about content, but it was the structure about how the content mm. came out and the capacity to, to discuss it was about exploring rather than entrenching positions. Just fabulous. Oh, what a great so story. a completely different tone. It makes a different tone, if I could say that. Yes. Oh, Melinda, so many fabulous things. This is why people need to read your book, clearly. But um, in that story, but also in the rest of the conversation, we've had so many fabulous tips in there. Uh, can you tell me, what are, what are the main points you want people to take away from the conversation that we've had today? Well, what I think is that effective relationships are built on quality conversations. Mm. And quality conversations are built on positive language mm. and the use of positive words. And so if we think about the story I just told, the setting was positive, yes. even though we were talking about difficult things. Mm. I think it's it really starts with how we converse with each other, what we say and the way in which we say it 
and making it safe to express oneself. To build a conversation, to build a set of relationships where we all feel, you know, safe to put things out there that could be difficult to say. And if there was one suggestion for action for the Take On Board community, what might that be? What's the one action people can take? Uh, I think I was trying to illustrate it with that story. Separate the person from the view. Yeah. Once you have interpersonal conflict around a board table, it's pretty hard to come back from that, especially if it was on a public stage in a group. Mm. So if you can separate views from people yes. and just keep the view out there and keep the debate on the view, not about the person, things will go a lot better. Yeah, fantastic. And is there a resource you would like to share with the Take On Board community? Well, of course, I do have to mention my book. You do? Because I wrote that because people were asking me these questions all the time. Mm -hmm. So it's got a whole section on managing challenging conversations. And Bob and I tried to really illustrate the, the impact of words, both verbal and written. Uh, in order to build that model of words, conversations, relationships. In the course of writing that book, there's many things that I have read and extracted the ideas to go into the book. And I think a couple of the things that the books that really stick in my mind are uh, Jonathan Haidt's book, uh, that's H-A-I-D-T, The Righteous Mind, Mm. How Politics and Religion Divide People. That's yeah, it's all about mindsets and, and beliefs about, you know, what's moral and what's not. And then I like books about behavior because uh, they all link the impact of mind on words on behavior. So I also like Robert Sapolsky's book called Behave. Fantastic. And earlier you mentioned another book as well, um, Amy Edmondson's book. So we'll make sure. Oh, The Fearless Organization. Yeah, so I'll make sure I put a link to all of those books, the four books that you've mentioned in the show notes so people can have a look at that as well. Mm. Oh, Melinda, thank you. That has been such a fabulous conversation. And as you say, I often hear people just trying to nut through how to deal with having those constructive conversations in the boardroom and how to deal with people they might consider difficult. And there are some beautiful tips in there for doing so. Thank you so much for being on the Take On Board podcast today. Thanks, Talia. Thanks for the opportunity. It was great speaking with you. That's a wrap for the Take On Board podcast today. I do this podcast because I love bringing good women together. So it's great to be able to share these conversations that I'm having with these amazing group of women with you. Now, can I ask a favour? Could you share this podcast with someone you know? Perhaps you can share it with some of your board colleagues or someone else that you know that's interested in exploring all things boards and governance. With your help, we can grow the Take On Board community. Last but not least, if you want to continue the conversation, you can also join us over in the Take On Board Facebook group, where there's lots of great discussions, tips, tricks and resources being shared. I would love it if you can join in the conversation there. You can find it by searching Take On Board in Facebook. Thanks for listening and tune in next week for another fabulous conversation.